All right, we are live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Curse of Oak Island and Beyond live stream. I am your host, Jeff Freeman, and today I am joined by my very special co-host, Alessandra Nadavari. Welcome, Alessandra. How are you? Hello. Thank you. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> now, you guys know Alessandra. We've had her on the show a few times, and she has graciously accepted to come on as my co-host today because what we're going to be talking about is exactly in her wheelhouse. Knights Templar and the Sinclair family and all of this is going to be, this is kind of where we're headed today and uh, maybe looking into where they may have been in North America. So this is going to be exciting. And I know that uh, Alessandra, if you guys haven't heard, she's got some books that she has uh, written, their children's books. And I had a picture on the intro there just a moment ago. I'll bring that up real quick and show you guys. Uh, she is a very accomplished author and a researcher, and I tell you what, I am just so happy to have her on the show today. If you want, you can talk about your books just briefly if you'd like. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Um, yes, I do write uh, books for young readers. I would say the age group is uh, 10 to 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. The first book is called Nikki and the Lost Templar, and I wrote it for my son, who is um, Nicholas or Nikki. The book is um, partially biographical because it talks about uh, the experiences that me and my family had while we lived in Nova Scotia. Uh, we still live here, but this is when we first came here and stumbled upon the mystery of Oak Island and the Knights Templar. So I wanted to um, honor our family and the story of the Knights Templar and write a story for my son mm -hmm. in which he's the hero so <laughs> all right that's fantastic well so, again so that, that was so a mouthful much. but it's, it's <laughs> yeah. a fun story well, thank you yeah. so much for for, for being my co-host today because i know <laughs> that this is uh something you and i have talked about uh and i've been really looking forward to our very special guest today folks uh we have um gretchen cornwall and sean williamson i'm gonna go ahead and bring them on right now and there they are. Hey, both of you, welcome, and thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, as you guys know, uh, Gretchen is a, an accomplished author and researcher and singer-songwriter and uh, has just finally gotten back to the UK. Um, so, and I know that's had to be, uh, you were over here for several, quite a few months, um, and you've written a couple of great books um, so, and again, thank you so much for coming on. And I know that, uh, I guess, uh, one of the books that you have is The Secret Dossier of a Knight's Templar, right? And then the other one is that photo book that you worked on. Yes, well, it, it's, journal, uh, it's a photo journal of my time on the Mohican Reservation in Wisconsin, mm -hmm. where uh, Wayne Murphy, retired law enforcement officer, discovered what I believe to be a Templar nice night cross pate. So I invested time and uh, flew over to Wisconsin and uh, what I found there blew my mind for which I had hoped would be the case. And it yeah. was hence the ensuing book, which has a good 155 images in it, photographs, uh, maps, illustrations, and truly a, a catalog of, of what happened day by day uh, during that, yeah. that 10 days in Wisconsin, yeah. it was quite a, uh, powerful journey and it was a pleasure to have met the Mohican language expert at the, uh, information center and to have had that, that cultural exchange, 
in uh, on the reservation. So, yep. yes, and I, I'm looking forward to going back. Yeah, and, and and we know that you will be, and we're going to be kind of going into that here later on in the show today. We're going to be talking about what's happening in Wisconsin and, and Team Templar North America. Um, and uh, so let's jump over to Sean real quick. Sean Williamson. And again, sir, thank you so much for coming on. And I wanted to give this an opportunity right. and all of our members a chance to get to know who you are. I know that uh, we've had you on the show before um, when we were interviewing with Team Templar North America. Um, but, you know, we it's been a while and uh for particular reasons those uh those interviews were removed for the time being and it's because of what's coming up we'll talk about in just a little bit but john thank you so much for coming on today and i know you're you're also working on a book is that correct yeah i mean it's uh it's kind of more therapy uh than anything else i have to say you know i get up early and i've been putting information together uh that i've heard and found you know valid information to back that up mm -hmm. in the form of a novel called questus and you know i get up early and it's uh you know spent three hours writing kind of settles me for the day and then i get into the stonework you know uh but uh it's uh it's been a a grand passage shall we say from actually being on the great lakes as a merchant seaman uh and I left the UK at 17. Mm -hmm. uh, which, all this is in the book in actual fact, but it's all true anyway. And I, I, my father got me a job on the Great Lakes freighters. Uh, he was a first officer on the Great Lakes. And I started off as uh, an ordinary seaman and ended up at Bosun. But I, I, I was on the lakes for three years on various ships. And... I remember two Newfoundland guys, and I didn't know what was going on at the time, to be honest, but my it was my father that got me interested in the, the Templars and stuff. And uh, later on, when Andrew Sinclair wrote the book, The Sword and the Grail, he sent me a copy, and I believe it was around 1992. This was after I'd been on the lakes. Mm -hmm. And he said, in the, he wrote in the book from Canada, seek this man out, Andrew Sinclair. And I ended up working with Andrew as his researcher. So, you know, it was more than just joining the dots. And there was a, an avenue of fate to the whole situation. And, you know, when I was on one of the first ships, a Canadian hunter, two Newfoundland guys who kind of befriended me because I was like 17. You know, this was roughy tufty merchant seamen and all that yeah. going into bars. And they kind of... Uh, you know, helped me settle into the work and stuff. And I heard one of them say to his son, it was a father and son, and he said, geez, geez, boy, there's, there's something a bit strange about that guy. What's he here for, you know? And uh, But now I know, but it's taken 30-odd uh, years to, to find out why. So that was an incredible passage, and it connected me to in a way, almost like through your DNA to, you know, where the Sinclairs and the guns went from Scotland. And, of course, I was born in England, and my family ended up in England. They were actually Jacobites. They fought the English. And whether they were opportunists or, you know, convicted uh, Catholic Jacobites, I don't know. But they ended up in England 
and I ended up tracing my ancestry back to the clan gun. And so it went on from there, but it was like I was reverse engineering my whole life by being on the lakes and then coming full circle back to meeting prominent Sinclairs. And, you know, who can believe in synchronicity? Well, I ended up a sculptor to the clan Sinclair, researcher to Andrew Sinclair. Any secrets the Sinclairs had, I know, I know them. You know, and not only that, in 2016, when I fell on hard times, uh, I'd done quite a lot of free work for the Sinclairs. And, you know, as a gun clan ally to Andrew Sinclair, uh, 2016, there was an opportunity to be the keeper of the Sinclair Lighthouse. And I was actually the last person to look after the Sinclair Study Centre in 2016. That, that's so the Nosshead Lighthouse, right? Yeah, Nosshead Lighthouse. Nos Head. And okay, yep. Yeah, so I, I had access to all the books. I took photographs of what I w wanted, you know, uh, to know more about. I found mm -hmm. papers that were about to be thrown out because it's all gone now. It all changed. But I saved valuable information. And, uh, you know, I've got all that. That's fantastic. And I know that that, you know, you know, and, and you're talking about being on the Great Lakes. And of course, you know, me, I'm a Uber from Michigan. So um, that, you know, being up in uh, the uh, um, Lake Superior and Lake Michigan, Lake Huron, that all that's that's my that's my stomping ground. So you're talking my language when you get and now I've never been on a merchant ship or merchant marine. But that you talk about that, that had to be a, a pretty tough life. Um especially for a young man and you were introduced to that by your father, but now you, you spent some time in Canada up there as well. Is that right? You were, did you go to school up there or where did that, that, uh, yeah, I, I was formative years, really re-educated, was re-educated in Toronto and was in St. John's, Newfoundland was in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I did, I actually ended up working on off, uh, Sable Island on a gas rig. All this paid for my money to train as a stone carver when I returned to the UK. And, uh, you know, there was just something uh, about my father that when you looked at him, you thought, well, you know, there's more to this guy as well. And he did a portrait of himself as a gun clan knight when he actually had an accident on the Ontario Power, which was the sister ship to the Cape Breton Miner. Mm -hmm. And... Technically, it was like a spinal fracture. He lost his ear. They found it again and stitched it back to his head. So when he wore sunglasses, they were always kind of cockeyed or whatever. But you get an, an idea of the character we're looking at. He would have actually been better suited to a Errol Flynn pirate movie or something like that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, why did he portray himself as a, a gun clan knight he didn't he he knew less about his own heritage right. than than i got to learn about but again he went through this process of reverse engineering it almost like dna so it comes up with, through the blood it's the call of your blood <laughs> yeah as uh, as the sinclairs would say uh, what is born of the blood can never be driven from the bone and i think that's a beautiful saying it yeah. is. That really, truly is. Wow. 
So how did you get introduced to um, stone mason and sculpting? I mean, how did that come about? Is that something that you thought about in your younger years or? Um... Well, it, it was, you know, I mean, I switched from woodwork at school to doing three-dimensional pottery and stuff. And mm -hmm. it was just in me to want to do it. And I, I can't describe it. I should, I would have probably ended up earning more money if I'd have stayed on the Great Lakes, but that was just a passage to all this. And, you know, I, I was kind of really not surprised when Wayne Murphy called me from, you know, the backwaters of Wisconsin to tell me about this, uh, you know, n native project there. And, you know, like, like as Gretchen uh, will, 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 will explain, you know, I mean, I was totally blown away by what Gretchen and, and Wayne found and, not only that, what two ships that I was on on the lakes, there was two two native guys and one one from the Abenaki, uh, who I went back to to meet later in two thousand and five, uh, and another guy from from Florida. Both of them said the same thing. They said, "Your guardian is is a bear guardian," and the first guy took me to when I, you know, I, my first stone carving experience was uh, in Thunder Bay where the, he, this guy took me uptown and we bought some soapstone and in the Inuit tradition, that's how I began to carve stone, you know? Wow. So, and then I went back to the UK to do it on a professional basis because I, you know, I wanted to try and make a living at something that I loved. Right. Absolutely. And did you go to schooling for this as well? I mean, did you take, you know, lessons from, you know, I, you know. I, yeah, I went through as much training as you could ever imagine, but as technically qualified to the hilt, uh, I ended up doing validation on forgeries, antiquities, that type oh, of wow. work. Uh, I, I later went to university to do a degree, but that actually is just for me, to be honest, a degree is a, it's a, a standard of mediocrity. You know, I was, I, I ended up working with Josephine de Vasconcellos, who was uh, a Brazilian sculptress when she was in her eighties, and th you know, I went for the great, the greats in this because I thought that's because I've been put down so much through the British education system. I thought, you know, no, let's have a look at this. I'm going to show you what this is about. I'm going to show you real class. And uh, had I been nurtured into the establishment system of events, then probably I would be a lesser man. Yeah, for sure. And that, and you're right, because you had that in you to be a sculptor. So um, getting the degree was just a formality, really, I would think, right? So because you were, you were already doing it and you were learning and getting, you know, if it's in your blood, like you said before, and it sounds like it was, um, then it was your, your talent was already there. It was just a matter of making it, um, come out in your, in the work that you're doing. And that kind of led you to, you know, is that, is that how you got connected with the family, the Sinclair family is through the sculpting or. Yeah. Through the sculpting really. And I knew Ian Sinclair, uh, I'd actually, sought him out because he was working with uh, uh, Robert Lomas and 
Christopher Knight, mm -hmm. who did the Hiram Key and other books. And I met Ian in the early 90s. And he was, you know, had lots and lots of information and knowledge. And he set up a Knight Templar organization at the Clan Sinclair Study Center. And I was part of that. And it was to do with, you know, working out what happened to the Knights Templar treasure, if you could call it that, or sacred relics, where they went after the dissolution of the Templars mm -hmm. and so on and so on. And they brought all the formative information, both from the United States and from Scotland and England, and compiled it in the library there. And it was a great center of learning, you know. Uh, it was such a sad day when we had to abandon it, you know. Uh, and the books that were connected, and the information connected to uh, the great native tradition of the United States of America. And all the journeying and the other version of events of history that it is going to be revealed there, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know too that, um, you know, working with uh, Dr. Andrew Sinclair, um, you guys were, when you got together with him, now he was a, uh, uh, a retired Oxford and Cambridge, uh, Cambridge professor, right? And so you got connected with him and you guys were like going to Roslyn Chapel and places of that nature too. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you were looking for um, Knights Templar tombstones. Was that right? That's that's totally correct. And, you know, Codex and, you know, the uh, analyzing carvings rather than just literature. We were, we were actually almost going in the same way that you would go into Egypt to an archaeological <clears throat> uh, situation. And, you know charting different details that we were finding on anomalous tombstones, which actually nobody really knew a lot too much about because they reused these tombstones sacrilegiously in churches, in walls, <clears throat> uh, doorways, that type. They made steps from them. And actually there was a huge amount of them. And yeah, we wanted to know how could we identify the tombstones of Knights of the Holy Orders? So the Knights of St. John of the Hospital, uh, Teutonic Knights uh, from those of Knights Templar. And I've, I wrote a paper based on the work with Andrew Sinclair and also some information that came to light later, information that I first of all found at the lighthouse, Nosshead Lighthouse, information from a ground scan at Temple Ballantrock, uh, which was the headquarters of the Knights Templar, and later the, the Knights of St. John. And then finding out that a guy I work with, Hugh Douglas, a very, very talented master mason, uh, had been rebuilding a wall there and found three anomalous tombstones, you know, Wow. But I'd I'd seen that information in a report from a ground scan before they were actually, whilst they were still under the earth, you know. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then a friend finds them. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. 
Yeah, for sure. That, and that's, and, and I think you had mentioned, um, in one of the other, um, podcasts that you were involved in, you had actually mentioned how, if I, and correct me if I'm not stating this correctly. And of course, Gretchen and, and Alessandra, you probably know this as well. Um, talking about how the, um, the, the, uh, the cross, the Templar cross changed to a circle cross. Yeah. At, at it some seems point. To, yeah, exactly. And this was, in a way, again, a reverse engineering process of trying to work out what happened. You know, was there an organization that persisted after the dissolution of the Knights Templar? Mm-hmm. And curiously, say, for instance, the tomb of William Sinclair is on a wheel cross. It has similar, what I call, secondary images around it. And I've done quite a detailed analysis with sketches of the two types. There's the wheel cross tombstone and then the ring cross tombstones. And it goes deeper than that because the ring cross tombstones, for instance, actually in most cases form a a covert image of the Templar cross, but it's like hidden in plain sight. I wondered if the tombstones had been painted Yes, you get chalices on them. Yes, you get shears. And then always when they see shears, for instance, on tombstones, the archaeological academics will say, hmm, shears must mean they were a wealthy farmer type of person. But I say, and Andrew said the same thing as me, shears, sheep, shepherd, King David. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's two... Two forms of uh, thought going on with that. And I think we're looking at a codex of carving that represented uh, intimately Knights Templar that didn't really necessarily wanted to be known that they were part of the order and they were buried under uh, anomalous tombstones. But Can I after, say something? Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. So go ahead, Alessandra. Uh, I'm sorry. I I thought that no. um, uh, I should say something about William Sinclair, the one whose tombstone you described. Mm-hmm. So for our viewers who might not know uh, which William Sinclair it was, because William was a very popular name among the Sinclairs, right? Yeah. So Sir William Sinclair, who was buried under this tombstone. Um, died in the year 1330. He was fighting the Spanish Moors. And the reason why he went from um, Scotland to Spain was because he was on the way to Jerusalem and he was carrying the heart of Robert the Bruce. Oh, wow. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, king of yeah. Scotland. So the heart of yep. the Bruce was being taken to Jerusalem where it was going to be buried. But um, Sir William Sinclair and other knights who were with him were attacked by the Spanish Moors and um, they died. And the Moors were so impressed with what Sir William Sinclair was trying to do, they allowed the heart of the Bruce to be taken back to Scotland. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it never made it to Jerusalem, it ended up back in Scotland. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's absolutely as I know it as well. But uh, again, Prior to the dissolution of the Templars, it appears that 
there was these tombstones or slab stones, as they're called, in the form of the ring cross tombstone with this, you know, emanating from the stem of Jesse, which emanates from the steps of Solomon. You have two different versions of event. Incidentally, I've also found similar tombstones of Knights Hospitallers in Cumbria, and their tombstones are slightly different. And, you know, knowing this information obviously gives us, uh, gives us the edge to some extent. But what I'm very curious about are the, the tombstones that came after, which are ring cross tombstones, sorry, wheel cross tombstones, because before the Templars, uh, major Templar commanders were executed in France, in Shinon Tower, there are examples of this, these uh, wheel cross stones carved into the walls and an image of St. Catherine. So for me, it's like there's a chain of events that show that there was some kind of system in place that carried on covertly that we don't know too much about. And it's, it's difficult to get to this information, but, you know, based on what I've seen of the carvings, then, uh, you know, I think the case is just about proven because, as we know, uh, the Sinclairs were the, the guardians of sacred relics and treasures as well. So it brings me to the point of, what happened to the Knights Templar when they, you know, became dissolved and what treasure or sacred relics were they carrying and where did where did those where did the, where did they end up? Because right. I think this latter order, covert order, were the people responsible for moving these treasures around and looking after them. And I think the Sinclairs were intimately connected with that. Not necessarily Templars themselves, but perpetrators of the, the secondary order. And it's very hard to get to this information, and it's, it's brave to try and find the information to prove, to prove this in reality, because it's like looking for a needle in a haystack, but I'm Sean. doing the best I can. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, my my interpretation of St. Catherine, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, is that she is the key of, of uh, navigation for the Templars. The wheel is essentially a compass, wow. uh, the directional uh, winds, and she's often seen with a quill, which is imparting knowledge down to the next generation. So that's how I have always viewed her. And uh, her importance to the Templars. So what is your thought on that? Have you come across references to that? Uh, well, now that you mention it, I, you know, I, I hadn't actually, because I've been so focused on what's kind of in front of me that I, I, you know, but you, we could be looking at a ship's wheel, couldn't we? Mm. A navigational mm -hmm consequence of you know what they were once a military order that actually turned their power into a sea power 
And I've I've seen some stuff recently because I you know I always connect. I don't know what you think about this Gretchen and Alexandra, but uh, you know I've seen some stuff recently uh, that the fleet that left La Rochelle or the fleet that left France. Mm-hmm. There's I've seen a couple of uh, uh, segments of information that say that they were flying skull and crossbones rather than Templar mm. flags. Well, that mm. would make f- sense, wouldn't it? Nobody, you know, they were escaping from the powerful papacy, etc. Yes. Uh, well, Roger of Sicily, he, well, Roger of Sicily uh, flew the skull and crossbones. And a, there is a controversy around it uh, in that it may have originally been red in color, red skull and crossbones, or the color rouge, uh jolly rouge jolly roger but uh he was a contemporary of bernard de clairvaux one of the founding uh minds behind the templars and roger uh was a uh, patron and the adoption of the skull and crossbones apparently happened fairly fairly early and of course we know it as a black field with a, the white skull and crossbones and that that uh, the battle flag of the Templars was the the black uh, field above, and then the white, you know, below it. Um, so so it makes sense that they would adopt the Jolly Roger as well, uh, and it being an allusion to John the Baptist as having suffered a beheading, but with the um, the sarcophagus going back to the time of Christ and John the Baptist being very small, the length of a thigh bone, Judaic tradition, you, you know, you, you bury your, the bones uh, into a, a, uh, a stone box, the length of your thigh bone, and you place the skull on top. So it's, it's quite, a, quite a, an ancient uh, transmission of information. And it's it's interesting in connection with John the Baptist have, as having suffered a beheading, as uh, the the skull and crossbones is uh, I believe his uh, his uh, standard, if you will, um, and as the the Templars became involved in a covert war, if you will, against uh, the Catholic Church that had essentially betrayed them. Uh, they became pirates, and that uh, that battle standard became the symbol for pirates going down the centuries. So uh, that's mm. that's my take on that, Sean. Um, yeah, I have a yeah. question for Sean. Right. Sean, when you were studying Templar tombs, especially the slabs, did you find any skulls and crossbones on them? Oh. I found one, just one, and I didn't. I never found one on any of the slab tombstones ever. They came okay. along after, after, kind of like fourteen fifty onwards. But I did find, and I've got a picture of it, and it's an incredible, it's an incredible thing. This because I know that it's was carved at a Cistercian monastery and it's hidden, but it's a skull and crossbones with a Templar, uh, the, the, you know, the Templar motif above it. So 
And that was it. That's actually, that was at Furnace Abbey where it was said that the Knights Templar fought against the dissolution of their order there. So there was a group of Templars at the Cistercian Abbey at Furness Abbey that that fought to keep the order going, you know, and as they did in Germany and on on other places. But in my mind, if I was to be a betting man, I would certainly bet what I had on the notion that the Templars made it to America, they set up some kind of routes and passages, navigational or otherwise, you know, brought their treasures and, and relics to a place that they knew they were going to be safe from uh, the all-pervasive Roman Catholic Church at the time, especially the Inquisition, uh, mm. the Papal Inquisition f first, then the Spanish Inquisition. And, you know, they came into it to, to England uh, looking for Templars to torture, you know, mm. with... Uh, loaded ships loaded with branding irons and all sorts i mean this 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 was very serious and it it, it was actually uh edward the second either edward the second that uh, you know denied them that uh, psychopathic privilege and uh yeah. so, but anyway back back to the south america thing cuz this links so anywhere you find the history of piracies, there you shall also find uh, the fire of the Templars. It's interconnected, and I haven't got as far as to be able to work that out completely. And Chile, by chance, just had a huge history of uh, piracy. So that's another reason that I ended up there. Yeah, that's one of the things we wanted to ask you about, you know, and, and looking at this, the scrolling, uh, skull and crossbones, that was something that I heard on another uh, show that we did. And I was fascinated by that. I never would have thought to connect the skull and crossbones to the Templar. That was but part of now, my interview on Oak yeah. Island in December of uh, 2018. Yes. And uh, I was glad that they uh, kept that mm -hmm. in. Uh, so it, it is, it is a very important and covert link between the the betrayal of the Templars mm -hmm. and what they chose to do to protect their traditions, their spiritual uh, treasures as well as their physical, and uh, definitely their DNA. At that juncture, they were free to marry or have children, pass their knowledge down to children or adopted sons and daughters. And the uh, traditions became broader, if you will, throughout the guilds. Uh, they were trading partners with the guilds. And human beings form relationships. You do business with your friends. And you, grow, you, you trust them. You, be, you build up uh, relationships with them. And Templar knight families, you know, we always view the Templars as, as somehow existing in a bubble isolated from from everything else but they there were several uh families that were quite proud uh to be associated with the templars and they gave them money and sons and land and goods so you have to ask yourself who is a templar mm -hmm. is it just a guy on a horse 
or is it uh, a gentleman in charge of running a massive farm? Uh, you know, is it the winemaker down the way? Is it the the blacksmith or the captain of a uh, pirate vessel? So I think all of those. Exactly. All of those. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Wow, that's very interesting. I, I just, that's so fascinating. And, and talking about the, the box and I know that, you know, they, I, I had heard also that, uh, when a, uh, when a Templar was buried, there was supposed to be no fanfare. There was supposed to be no, you know, big deal made about it. And matter of fact, many of the times the grave markings might be just a stone, you know, with hardly anything on it at all as, as the no, no names, unnamed yeah. graves, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, they gave up their name when they joined the order. Yeah. And it was all about service. And if they, I think if they were of greater note, they probably had a sword carved on to the surface and perhaps a compass rose as well, such as the, the one in Cumbria at uh, the little church in Caldbeck that, that um, I highlighted in, in, my, in my book. But uh, uh, there is a template. They know his name. Uh, is it Th Sir Thomas de Bray? And that's interesting because it's not very often that records survive like that. But they know that he came from a village uh, half an hour away by car and that he was buried at the uh, church in Caldbeck in Cumbria. And they brought his uh, stone slab in from uh, ruin uh, from, from the weather, which is, is wonderful, as all these stones deserve to be preserved and brought in I, from the cold. I agree. There's a there's a picture that uh, Sean shared with uh, sent me and shared with me that I wanted to uh, bring up here too. Now and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I was thinking this looks like they might be some of those tops, the slabs. If you or you were were examining, is that what these are here? Yeah, it. Uh, there's one in particular, and that's the one by the doorway. This one here, yeah. We yeah, which is uh, which I'm pointing at. And this was on with Carl and Hamilton on Lost Relics of the Knights Templar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we got to go to Kilmartin, uh, Lockhaw, and those areas. Now, most of these other tombstones have been carved with similarities to Templar tombstones, but it's been a very, very strong Gallic Norwegian style. Uh, and originally MacDonald of the Isles, for instance, the that Robert the Bruce had an, an alliance with, uh, they put forward 2,000 highly trained troops and mercenaries to fight the English. Mm. And they had their own culture as well. And you know, this is represented on their tombstones, but there's also similar symbols to the ones that I've found on uh, the slab stones of knights and also knights templar. And one of the stones here, uh, of course, this was in context to the idea that there was Templars who fought at Bannockburn. And one of the stones here is very definitely a knight, Templar tombstone 
And whether he fought at Bannockburn or not, I, you know, I can't actually say. But it's curious that this particular Templar tombstone is amongst these gallow glass mercenary stones uh, of different ages. Uh, and why it's there in this area, I don't know. But I can tell you one thing. It's virtually identical to the one that the ones that were found at Temple Ballantradoc, uh, the Knight Templar headquarters. So it's actually game, set, and match, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. Wow. I want to say That's something exciting. about the Battle of Bannockburn, if I may. If I may. Yeah, go ahead, please. So this Battle of Bannockburn, and this is for our viewers who might not have this information, happened on June 24th, 1314. And June 24th is the feast day of St. John the Baptist. And who did Templars revere? Mm -hmm. John Baptist. Baptist. St. John the Baptist, <laughs> yes. Exactly right. <laughs> so it's quite the coincidence that mm -hmm. uh, Robert the Bruce would pick June 24th as the day for his battle. Yep. And that's something that I have, honestly, I've learned from all of you, you know, from doing these shows and meeting you all and, and finding this out that I did not, I never knew that the Templars revered John the Baptist the way they did. Mm -hmm. um, and now we find out like the chalice that the, uh, or the, um, um, the one vessel that uh, uh, Carl and Hamilton have uh, from the relics of the lost relics of the Knights Templar, the face on it. Now it's not been proven that that face on the all, you know, on all four sides of that, well, sides around the sides of it, there's four of them on there. That is John the Baptist. It's not been proven because uh, that'd be almost impossible to do, but it's very likely. Um, Absolutely. It is John I, I agree. And the beard is interesting. The beard is, the beard is actually cut into three sections, if you've noticed. Mm -hmm. And there is always a sense of the, 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 the number three is a sacred and powerful number. Yep. And in uh, many, many orders uh, over the last uh, centuries, there are often three layers of, of spiritual growth and meditation to achieve and attain. And I believe that that's what the beard symbolizes. And the beard is very important to the Knights Templar. It is uh, hearkening back to the time of King Solomon, of, of uh, David, and the beard meaning, meaning wisdom. And uh, to see those four faces with the, the beards cut into three sections. But also what was interesting with that is, is the, the knob, I don't want to call it that really, on the stem. You've got that, that, uh, that bulge. That's cut into, I believe, eight. So it's octagonal. So there's a lot happening with that, that vessel which is exciting. Yeah, libation uh, vessel. That's uh, yes, really reminded yes, me what it was called. Place. I was stumbling there with <laughs> Thank you. I couldn't Linda remember it either, but, uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I knew exactly what Alessandra was, was speaking about. It's a beautiful piece. Just oh, it's wonderful. I've got a picture someplace. I was going to, I was trying to find it while you were speaking there. I was trying to find the picture that I have of it. Um, Cause it is, it's, it's fantastic. And, and these it's things stunning. are just, you know, and, and again, going back to John the Baptist, I mean, I had no idea that he was revered as much as he was by the Templar Knights. Um, and so that and it totally makes sense, though. It really does. And then when you think about the fact of the he was beheaded, 
Um, and then, you know, that, and that maybe has something to do with the skull and crossbones, you know, well, if you look at medieval art and statuary, he is always depicted as either a skull or as a, a head on a platter or, or just a floating head, you, you know, you always know who it is because that's iconography mm -hmm. and a picture tells a thousand words. And I, I did come across, you know, uh, we were talking about the skulls and crossbone. I don't have a photograph of it handy, but it is actually, I, I believe it might be iron. It, it is actually the, uh, this a crucifix with, with uh, Christ on it that was actually discovered in a church in Cumbria. And he, the, the base of the, of the crucifix there is the skull and crossbones, and this thing is dated to the mid 1300s. So wow. it's quite a quite a piece, and it had been hidden in, I believe, uh, if I remember correctly, a church wall, uh, probably to hide it from the Reformationist movements that were into smashing and destroying and burning everything that might have been con construed as an idol. So fortunately for us today, that that you know piece is still present with us. So that's a very Im, uh, early image of the skull and crossbones at, at the foot of, of Christ on the, on the cross, um, mid, th mid 1300s. So can I make a title? Uh, Real yes. quick. Sorry, Sean. Yeah, <laughs> so on Oak Island, we have this megalithic cross known as Nolan's cross. And in the center of the cross is a stone, which people usually refer to as the headstone. But mm -hmm. It seems to faintly resemble resemble a human head or skull. Hmm. Yep. And yeah, I think Jonathan talked about that during her presentation yeah, yes. on the Curse of Oak Island. I did. I, I I believe it is a representation of the the skull of of John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Uh, yes. And cousin to and, and his cousin was uh, uh, Jesus. So yep. why why should he not be important? Exactly. So, oh, absolutely. He is. Yep. He is. Yep. Well, I, I I've got a little more to say about that cross because I've actually got I've got a copy of it, a replica, and the this it's a very very beautiful beautiful piece that was originally cast in lead, and I'm just trying to think of the the house the major house it was found at, at Cumbria. I do have a replica. I'm just trying to think if I brought it with me down to London, but the, 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 yes, it has a skull and crossbones at the base of it, which Christ in on the cross in his agony to, to that extent. Uh, but next to that, in actual fact, is also a noose, uh, a, a hangman's noose as well, which I've not seen before in those two things at once. However, at St. Bee's Priory in Cumbria, when they discovered what many people thought was a knight of the Holy Orders, uh, he was buried, and I've got the autopsy pictures of, of this, because he was found so miraculously preserved that people actually thought he was a recent murder victim. It was wow. discovered by student archaeologists. You can still see his eyes and his blood is still viscous. Wow. But he too, this night in particular, uh, it's got huge, quite large hands as well. Um, he has 
this noose around his neck as well, which is not like a noose that would be capable of hanging somebody because it's very small, thin, thin, thin rope. And the Freemasons, of course, call this a cable toe. And the initiation scene of uh, Knights Templar on Rosslyn, which is all that's left of it, is a corbel. A corbel is a facet that uh, architectural feature that supports a major statue of something. But on that, of course, and the much controversy about this is a Knights Templar initiation scene in 1480, for instance, when the Rosslyn was built. So well, well, well after the dissolution of the Templars. But that initiation scene, one knight is being brought with a Bible, is being pulled almost like a dog on a leash, but this guy's got a noose, you know. Mm. So this, this is obviously some kind of knightly thing. And it's on the cro- it's on that it's on that cross that I have a replica that Gretchen's just mentioned. Yeah. Wow. And then I how did, you, how did yeah. the Freemasons pick that up? Because they have an initiation initiation ceremony that involves a noose, right? The Freemasons. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, and that you know that's where you we find the link. I think with the with the Templars, did somehow the Templars transmute into becoming the Freemasons, which is highly conjectural. It's, it's this, you know, in in Masonic tradition, they have records that differ, for instance, say, than the academic establishment. And there is, you know, there's no smoke without fire. But I think there was another order. I think there was a a secondary order that came after the Templars, which was covert, and that was the order that melded, perhaps, into the tradition of craft masonry, for instance, or the Freemasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. An interesting question from Sarah here that uh, I brought up. Um, um, have you seen the face on the church in uh, Temple? Templecom. Thank you. Yeah. What What do you guys know about this? Anybody have any details on that at all? Go ahead. Well, uh, I have not been there, but I have seen images of that, and it seems likely that that rescued uh, image is more than likely that of John the Baptist. Although it has also been said that it could be Veronica's veil. Either way, it, it's it's one of them, isn't it? So, uh, but being that it was a Templar uh, church, it stands to reason it, it would have been John the Baptist. Uh, probability, the term probability is always very important. And it is also important to maintain the rigor of academic uh, research. Mm-hmm. And to to follow those heavy standards, but to not use one's how do I say this as Sean alluded to earlier piece of paper as a means of power to dismiss uh, inquiry uh, seeking 
uh, asking questions and also protecting one's uh, paycheck and standing in the academic community. <laughs> so, so there are, people are always motivated by something, mm-hmm. and and uh, it's it's whether or not that motivation is is pure. But so being that it is a, a Templar uh, church, it is more than likely probability John the Baptist. Right. So that absolutely, makes sense for sure. Wow. That's very interesting. Um, there's another picture that we have of um, some of this, these slabs. And I, I just find these so fascinating. I really do. And that's why I keep going back to them. This is another picture that you shared with me, Sean, um, that I wanted to bring up. And it's you observing some that are laid out. I'm going to bring the picture up here real quick. Uh, and maybe, and I know it's real small. Sorry, folks. I know it's really small, but it does depict several. Now, are these individual tombs or are they just taken off and moved to this area for display how is that yeah i think they were they were gathered up from the area at kilmartin and there's some they range from different time scales you know mm-hmm. but you know i went i went to kilmartin to look at the different stones with carl and hamilton but the idea was to show them the ring cross tombstone which is definitely that of a somebody that was had been a templar mm-hmm. the other the ones that i'm showing there was a secondary visit that no actually that was before uh that particular period and the the thing that's in my uh paper on these tombstones is that many of the symbols that are on those stones and are on some of the Templar stones uh, and some that we don't know whether they were Templar or Knights Hospitaller. The symbols are concurrent. They're there all the time. You know, it's either you get maybe a grail, you'll maybe get the uh, the sheep shears, you'll get the stem of Jesse, you'll get the steps of Solomon, you'll get the, uh, the, the ring cross, which designed, disguises a knight templar motif and you get all these symbols i you know once i got into these the, these particular symbols I, I discovered that actually these symbols go back in from right through to the sixth century and appear on wow. like what you would say could be uh christian pagans becoming christian or even before that like there's a meaning behind these symbols that i I would like to think there's a connection to arthurian chivalry and that 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 was something that was picked up on was known about by the templars because of course they're intimately linked to to that in any case the notion of the grail and yeah. For, for, forgive me, Sean, for interrupting. I, I'm, I'm just. Uh, this is so. It's always so exciting. I, I, I live for this. But, uh, Chrétien de Troyes was a contemporary of Bernard de Clairvaux, and he was, of course, writing uh, uh, down the um, Arthurian uh, stories in in France. Uh, of course. Joffrey of Monmouth did as well, but uh, I believe uh, there was a monk named Gildas who seems to have predated both those gentlemen, but, but definitely 
around the time the Templars were were becoming who they were, Arthurian tales were were very popular. Eleanor of Aquitaine supporting troubadours to to sing tales of of Arthur. The artwork, everyone everyone wanted to be an Arthurian knight uh, seeking the Holy Grail. And uh, Edward I, uh, Hammer of the Scots, uh, when he passed, his son Edward II inherited. He, uh, Edward II was considered one of the worst kings of, of England. Um, at least he did not let in a profuse amount of inquisitors. He only let in three men. And they weren't supposed to torture, but they found ways to torture Templars. But when his son took the throne, Edward III, he actually created uh, the Order of the Garter. He was uh, inventing his version of Arthurian courtly life and was trying to establish that at Windsor Castle. And uh, so, so he was steeped in, in Arthurian uh, lore, and I'm convinced he had Templar sympathies. Uh, that culminates at Royston Cave, and that's something for another time. But there are some very interesting things that, that happened with the property of Royston uh, that the Templars had owned uh, up to to that crossroads in Royston, the, the cave underneath was Templar, but uh, he took it by administrative force. Edward III did away from the Hospitallers, and became the protector of that cave, that property, up until the Victorian era when it changed hands uh, locally. So what was this Arthurian-driven king of England doing seeking out this particular Templar knight property and actually wresting it away from the hospitalers? So interesting stuff. Wow, interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it really truly is. That's for sure. Uh, another question that popped up there. And again, I don't know anything about the uh, Cathar uh, uh, symbology, but the question there, does that, does that have any significance? It says, how much did, uh, how much or did any of the Cathar symbology get absorbed into the Templar line? Do you know anything about that? I'm not, I'm not familiar with that at all personally, but I didn't know if that was something. Sean, do that... you have any, anything to add on that front? <laughs> Not, not really. I know that there was an interconnection of Cathar and Templar families, you know, over time, but it's not mm. really an area that, uh, you know, I, I've focused in. I do intend to go to the south of France and, you know, uh, check out some of the castles and that kind of connection, but uh, not really, you know, it's not really on. I, I have read books on the Cathars and stuff, but uh, no, I don't, I don't know too much about that. I'm not certain myself about the interconnecting symbols, but I know the Templars were sympathetic to the Cathars. Even Bernard de Clairvaux went down and tried to reconvert them. The Cathars con con were, you know, they basically said, look, we're Christians. Um, it's just that, and, and this is something that will, will bend everybody's mind. Today, there are 35,000 dif different Christian sects in the world. 35,000. 35, wow. 
I mean, I might be able to tell you the difference between a few of them. Yeah, you know, I I think we saying. all can. Yeah, maybe five. But, but thirty-five thousand. But wow. unfortunately, the the, the Cathars. Um, Bernard de Clairvaux went down, tried to uh, bring them more in line with uh, the Catholic Church at that time. They said no, and he came away and said they needed a great deal of talking to, but he also said that they were more Christian than most Christians that, that he knew, which is interesting. And according to legend, I, I don't know how true this is, but according to legend, his mother was related to the Counts of Toulouse, who were, uh, of course, supporters of the Cathars. Mm -hmm. And they were quashed uh, along with the uh, Cathars uh, by the Albigensian Crusades. Uh, and I'm going to get this wrong, 1225, 1224, something like that, but a long time ago, uh, right amongst the Templar uh, era. Uh, uh, so, but, but yes, uh, uh, I think that, that they, uh, there could have been cousin sympathies there, mm -hmm. but as I to have, actual symbols, I don't know myself. I, I don't know much about the symbolism either, but I think I can add a little bit to Please. the connection between Templars and Cathars. So, um, as Gretchen said, Templars stayed out of the Albigensian crusade. They didn't want to fight fellow Christians. But um, when Raymond, Count Raymond of Toulouse was killed during the crusade, um, he was also excommunicated by the church because he was supporting the Cathars. And because he was excommunicated, he could not be buried on consecrated soil or in consecrated mm -hmm. soil. So he couldn't be put in a churchyard, for example. And uh, Templars allowed his body to be buried on their soils. So. Oh, 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 oh my, that's heavy. Yeah. Interesting. That Thank you, Alessandra. I, I will just drop this in briefly since a lot of the people watching today are Oak Island aficionados. Mm -hmm. yep. um, I did find out in my, in my uh, investigative journey to Chateau de la Rochefoucauld in 2019 that Akatan was spoken all the way up as far north as uh, the castle there, Rochefoucauld Castle. And there is an Akatan uh, uh, word on Zena Halpern's map, which is mm. really interesting. <laughs> mm. So I thought I would drop that on you. And, wow. Uh, bar bark is the, the, the term, I believe, and it has different meanings. Uh, B-A-R-Q-U-E can either mean the ship of St. Peter's uh, or, or a uh, literal, literal ship. But, but I was surprised to find, and it took me going there to find out that, uh-oh, I just lost one of my earrings. Excuse me. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, they spoke the language all the way as far north as, as uh, Chateau de la Roche called. Um, amongst other things I found out on that on that trip. But um, I, I just to, to round that comment out, there's so much to say, and I, I can't wait to hear, hear Sean express more of what he, he has discovered. But I will be, now that I am back in the UK, 
I had hoped to finish uh, my research, my latest research last August and release a book, but um, I found myself through lockdown and isolation, my mother's 24 seven carer for 24, for, excuse me, for 14 months. And uh, it was, it was uh, quite something. And um, uh, I am so glad that, that, I was there for her and in many ways, you know, she was also, she was also there for me and we're good friends. You know, we, we enjoy uh, Oak Island. We always watch Oak Island together. We talk about it afterwards. We dissect it to the nth degree. Uh, it's, it's just so enjoyable. And I have that uh, connection with my, my father as well. Uh, who has been very insightful in regarding uh, Oak Island um, nuts and bolts, as well as as the project in Wisconsin. He went with so, you to Wisconsin, didn't he? I read that. No, but he would love he to, and I would. <laughs> no, he hasn't. Okay. He he wasn't, but I know he would love to. Um, and he he, I'm sure he would actually be quite helpful. He's a very intelligent man, and I uh, respect him a great deal. Uh, but that would be amazing to to uh, be there with him. So I'm proud of him. He's um, 82, and uh, he is uh, riding, uh, doing long haul marathon bike rides with he's got a oh, wow. tent on his bike he spends he camps you know uh you know you would never know never know uh uh just incredible what he has has done to rebuild his his body and his physical life so i'm quite proud of him for trading in a real horse he used to ride horses for a steel horse wow so, yeah, I could yeah. only hope to be that. When I'm 82, I tell you, I, I want to be Me able to too. keep going, that's for sure. <laughs> Me too. I think my father's in better shape than I am. <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm quite blessed to have uh, my family on board with me my on this journey. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, now that I am back in the UK, I will be writing, researching, vlogging, uh, interviewing, having great conversations with Alessandra. Jeff and Sean and Wayne and anybody else who will listen about the Knights Templar. <laughs> oh, I know. That's something that we're all into. I know that uh, that's why everybody here that's watching right now is all and, and we'll be watching later on after the on the recording. Um, you know, very interested in the Knights Templar and and the uh, and there was a good question that was just brought up by Michael here on um, that I wanted to throw up here real quick. And I, but before I do that, I wanted to ask you about something you mentioned, Sean. Uh, this was something that was mentioned in another podcast, and you alluded to it just a few moments ago, um, that you wrote a paper, uh, and this paper was called Evidence of the Knights Templar Tombstones. Is that something that people can see? Is that out on the internet anywhere that, oh, you've got a copy? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's finished. It's edited now. Uh, actually, Gretchen helped me with that, and then there was I did some more, and there was some more information that I got through from uh, from Hamilton. and it's it, it's ready i really don't know how to release it i'm not bothered I, I thought well i would have actual papers you know printed up in a in a booklet form because it's eleven thousand words with illustrations and you know it's black and white but it's got all the technical information there that would i think would be helpful to the you know the templar forum in that respect i really don't know how to go about whether I should publish it 
and try and sell it or I should just do it as an ebook or something or just release it as a paper. So that's the only thing is deliberation on that. The jury's out which way I'm going to, you know, release it. But uh, all the information on the ring cross and wheel cross tombstones, Shinon Tower, the carvings, uh, Temple Ballantradoc, the lost information, uh, the pictures, everything is in that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I tell I'm you what, I'm looking forward to seeing it. <laughs> I, I, really I was very fortunate. I, it's impressive. It is impressive. Sean, um, we, we need to talk about that again. Uh, and um, uh, just uh, just get my foot in the door there on that one before you the thousands of people that followed. Right here, <laughs> <laughs> Don't yeah. run off with anybody else uh, on that one, Sean, before we talk again. <laughs> Wow, that's great. Yeah, I definitely would be interested in hearing about that because I, I uh, or reading it because uh, it sounds fascinating. And this is something that, like I said, that, it's amazing. That, yeah, it, it it just seems like it would be. I mean, I I'm I'm and and I said this before, but the more I find out about the Knights Templar, and I'm just fascinated by them. And I, and I have to throw this question out there real quick while it's on my mind is. You know, I mentioned this to some of my friends and colleagues that are away from Oak Island. They don't watch the show or anything like that. Um, but I've mentioned, uh, you know, things about the Knights Templar to them. And, you know, I've had a couple of them come back right away and say, oh, the Knights Templar. Oh, yeah, those guys were heretics and they got it, you know, they blah, blah, blah. They come up with all these things that they were arrested for that seems to prevail as the standard of what they were. I don't believe that. Where, give me your thoughts. I've got three of you there that are, are researchers. Well, that, that is about as insulting as one could, could get, not, not to impugn your friends. There's a lot of malarkey out there, to put mm -hmm. it politely. What, what um, they were accused of, uh, the, uh, there was an actual manual on how to, how to persecute witches. Mm. And it was awfully, of course, this is also done under torture. So they took this manual and used it against uh, Templars and uh, it, it all, you know, baby eating, baby sacrificing, sodomy, every nasty thing you could possibly think of. And I will say this, the individuals that came up with this book on how to torture a confession of such nasty, low base thought, you have to ask who are these people that mm. they would devise such horrible questions and use physical, physical uh, uh, life changing injuries, you know, to, to, to get confessions out of one Templar that was tortured. They burned his feet. And as his bones were falling out of his feet, they put them in a bag and handed the bones out of his toes and his feet to him, you know. So, so you, you, you've got to ask who's doing, who's asking the questions? Right. Who's asking the questions? And out of all of these 35,000 different Christian points of view in the world that we have today, which one is right? And I will say something very controversial here. And I do not mean this in a modern context of religious controversy at all. This is historical. But Constantinople, 
now known as Istanbul, did not receive any military support from their Western Christian brethren because the Western Christians at the time believed that their Eastern brothers were much more heretical than they were. So they allowed the backdoor uh, of Europe, as it's called, the geographical backdoor of Europe to be taken by the um, Muslim forces, the Navy. I, I'm going to get the date wrong, but what, what was it? Somewhere around 14 something or whatever. I'm not very good at remembering dates as a whole. So you've got two different uh, views of Christianity in Europe. And because of that stubbornness, both thinking that the other is heretical, they, they lost Constantinople, which is now Istanbul. So, you know, are, are we brothers or not? Mm -hmm. um, forgive me for saying it that way, but that's what it comes down to. And that is why uh, it is best to remember we're all human beings mm -hmm. and to treat each other with respect. Um, uh, there were some very strange things that did come out of the tortures, such as the worshiping ahead. But you've got to look at it in the medieval context when relic hunting, a relic, uh, a place was not a church or a commandery, wherever, was not sacred until it had the bones of a saint in it, preferably the bones of a saint that was very close to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So if the Templars were accused of worshiping a skull in their, in their preceptories, it's not worship, it's veneration. That's different. Right. So they were using some very hypocritical language against the Templars. And today we, we don't venerate human body parts by and large, but um, uh during the medieval, middle ages, that was a much more in, in, the, in the forefront of people's thoughts. Because if you led a holy life, if you became a saint, then your physicality is closer to, to God than, than the rest of the population base could ever be. Uh, so that's what I will say on, uh, on that subject. So I, I, hope, uh, I hope that won't <laughs> insult your friends, Jeff. But that's what I, uh, after having been been in this uh, pool since the mid '90s, that's my take on it. Mm -hmm. Jeff, I have the... something for you that you can write down. Sorry, Sean. Okay. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Um, so write this down, Jeff. The Templars were absolved of their sins in 1308. Uh, that's the one. Yep. <laughs> what and year it was, was recorded 1308. The Sheenon parchment. They were absolved one year after the accusations, and they were absolved at this castle called Chignon. It was um, the leaders of the Templar order, uh, Jacques de Molay and uh, all the guys under him, that confessed their sins. They met, they met with several archbishops, I think four archbishops who were representatives of the Pope, and they admitted to doing some stuff, but not the you know, the scandalous accusations and they um, expressed their regret. They asked for forgiveness and the church forgave them. Wow. So in 1308, they received absolution 
and it's recorded on the Shino parchment. Um, you can look it up in Wikipedia. You can even download the yeah. parchment and have it printed. Yeah. I have it on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> What's that called? Uh, Dr. Barbara Frail. Dr. Barbara yeah. Frail brought that out in, in yeah. uh, 2007. And the other thing that, that, that goes along with it, um, and, and forgive me for carrying on. I hope that wasn't a polemic, but that's that's my feeling on it. But and and Alessandra, absolutely out of the ballpark and very short too, which is exactly right. Um, uh, oh gosh, I had a thought and it went somewhere. <laughs> well, okay, well while you're thinking about it, yeah. I'll finish about no, this it's gone. It went. Yeah, so I apologize. It's I okay. apologize. So this parchment, <laughs> just, Jeff, you can you can download the image onto your cell phone. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Okay, write, I'm back. I'm write, back. I'm <laughs> just write 1308 on that image and show it to your friends at the pub and say, look, <laughs> they were absolved in 1308. And there are even yeah, I think seals or stamps on, on, mm -hmm. on parchment that show that it's official. The only thing is it was never published. So the general public didn't know about it. So it was yeah. drafted, it was stamped, but it was never uh, made public because the that Pope at the time was the puppet of King Philip IV. And this and, and parchment, just like Gretchen mm -hmm. said, sat in the secret Vatican archives until um, 21st century when Dr. Barbara Frail, as uh, Gretchen mentioned, discovered it and it had been like tagged wrong or miscategorized and she you know unrolled it looked at it and and that was it i just got but, linda, know, just, she, linda just did that she just looked it up for me and she just <laughs> texted it to me so thank you linda excellent. i appreciate that so keep that on yeah, your phone that's yes, the that's short answer I that's am, the short to. answer go with what alessandra said but but it does all go back to as she said to to king philip of france he wanted their money he wanted mm -hmm. to be the grand master exactly and right. once he installed clement pope clement and moved the vatican to avignon avignon forgive my french lack of uh, uh he became the de facto pope overnight so if you if you want to point fingers just point it at philip labelle and and you've you've got it and within within a year of 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 uh executing jacques de molay uh he was dead and so was pope clement mm -hmm. and uh someone set the church on fire where pope clement was was uh laying in state they set the church on fire so uh yeah <laughs> thank you i appreciate that and i'm definitely going to be using that because i never believed that it was true and i because i said i stood for the the templars all through this whole thing and i said it has to be something that they made up so they could bring them down and they Absolutely. used it as a, as a way to bring them down and hence the reason to to covertly establish bases in north america mm -hmm. exactly the reason you're not going to be persecuted there. Right. So you make allies with uh, North American indigenous people, which they did. You develop bases. You create the Nolan Cross. Um, mm -hmm. And you push further inland uh, through the Hudson Valley, uh, which leads to the Newport Tower. But you also push north in the St. Lawrence River Valley along the Great Lakes to Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So... All right, we're going to get there in just a second. One other thing before I had this mentioned from, uh, did you have something you want to say, Alessandra? Sorry. I, I want to ask Please. Sean about the Westford Knights, but that can wait. Okay, all right. We'll get to that in just a second. I want to get back to Michael's question. And it had to do with the Portuguese. I'll bring it up here so you can see it. He says, what are your thoughts on the theory that the Templar 
the Templars through the Portuguese Empire tried to expand the order in Brazil as they uh, ha are claimed to have found tunnels uh, carved by the Templars. Do you guys do you have any thoughts on this? I know this has come up recent, uh, recently. It's Dr. Kathleen Ball's research, yes. right? Um, she's a, a university professor, and um, she found this cave in Brazil in Alto Paraiso. It's actually, um, I think, a complex of three caves. Mm -hmm. And it looks like a cave, but it's actually an entrance to what seems to be a gold mine. And above the entrance of the cave is a very nice cross pate and some graffiti inside the cave but um she has to go back i think she's going within a month to study the cave further and i, I know she wants to look at the other two caves as well exciting that's exciting mm -hmm. sean you probably have a greater insight on that than i do yeah what do you, what do, you do you know anything about that sean well, only I've been in touch with uh, with Kathleen Ball. It's it's absolutely fascinating stuff. But I think uh, that's going to be some solid evidence there. But uh, you know, when you look into the Templars in you know the North America and down into South America, it's obvious that in one form they were there, probably after the dissolution in the form of you know, flying the, the skull and crossbones as this other order, a, a naval power. We know that they made an alliance with the Knights of St. John, who lasted out in the Mediterranean right up to the time of Napoleon. Um, the Hospitallers were formidable troops and quite often overshadowed by the Templars, but they were the equal in battle of the, the, the Templars in many ways. But you can imagine those two orders teaming up and quite often they fought side by side in the as defenders of the faith um so you can imagine the hospitaller and their naval power in the mediterranean somehow combining with the templars and for having a covert navy so to speak that actually fought their persecutors in other forms it's all this stuff is now, you know, is being is coming up through the sand to some extent to 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 make something real. And the you know Kathleen's discovery in in Brazil, you know, it's absolutely fascinating. And you know, when you get into it and you you find in you know village communities and 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 small schools what they're actually discovering that's not making the mainstream. It's that's where we need to be. These, uh, I call it oblique lateral. It's it's areas that the mainstream isn't looking for, and uh, all this information's kind of coming together to 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 give us a, a better picture of this covert order of Templars, you know, with their connections to the Hospitallers. I mean, uh, all all incredible stuff. And South America is. It, it's fabulous territory. I, I, I believe the Templars were great geophysical explorers. I believe they charted, uh, you know, biblical information. They were all over the world, and they were they were all over the world because people before them, the Phoenicians, uh, different other other cultures, were also over the world. The right. Templars made it a plan to be involved with native peoples you know almost 
as a as a, a second nature. And I I call the uh, the oppressors of the Templars the Babylonians because there seems to be two energies of forces of force on the planet that's still almost in existence today. And it, it seems there was an impasse between the Templars back then and the powers that be. I think the Templars were actually trying to set up. There's a lot of evidence to suggest through, you know, re-establish the lineage of King David as an earthly power, not just a one that they revered from the Middle East. I think it was uh, all singing and dancing plan for a new plan for the planet. And that sounds outlandish, but uh, it may have been suppressed. I don't know. But there's plenty of evidence I, in that direction. I will say that that is one of the issues that the Templars did get into trouble with. Uh, xenophobia is was, was um, huge at the time. You know, you did not speak to anybody that was outside your uh, religion uh, outside of your uh, physical DNA culture. And as Bernard de Clairvaux was a scholar and a seeker of wisdom, uh, so the Templars did become too. And I'm not saying that all of them were, were scholars and literate. No, uh, they, they, were, they were true fighting men and not all of them were men of letters. They weren't. But the minds behind the Templars, uh, the diplomats in uh, the Middle East, in, in Israel, they were talking to Judaic scholars. Uh, and in Islam, the tradition of, of uh, scholarship is, is high. Both the three Abrahamic religions have intense, incredible uh, scholarship. So they weren't shooting the messenger, if I may be so blunt. And that is one of the huge uh, issues in uh, when they were brought down in 1307, that they, they were in too much contact with other cultures in order to learn. And they did bring a great deal into, into Europe, you know, the architecture, their capacity for stained glass windows. Uh, geometry for, for building both and as astronomy, uh, alchemy, uh, which, uh, which is uh, a Middle Eastern word for, for chemistry and, and uh, other, other uh, astrological practices. So, so, you know, if you wanted to unseat the Templars, accusing them of learning too much and being too smart, and going against the, 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 the power base of a uh, greedy French king, uh, certainly that's one of the reasons why they were brought down, uh, because they, they, were, they were trying to learn how the world worked in practice, um, because it meant your life. If, if you were on the, the wild oceans, you can't call AAA. You can't call right. the AA to come and rescue you. You had to do it. Yep. So, you know, they weren't fools. They wanted to make sure they were going to get from A to Z. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's uh, being a, a, at the, uh, at sword point, you know, living your life at the end of the spear, as it were, uh, the practicalities of life. So I hope that makes sense. Yep, absolutely. 
Um, so let's take this. Uh, we got we're at about an hour and a half now, and I, you guys know that I like to try to keep this to two hours because it's hard for everybody to sit for that long. Um, but I tell you, this has been fascinating. I knew it would be. I really did. I, I was I was so looking forward to this. Um, let's take this and say, okay, thirteen oh seven. All this came down on the Templars. And as Sean talked about just a moment or just a little bit ago, he talked about uh, them leaving and heading for Scotland, I guess. So let's start to work this towards the North America. So in, in, when all this took place and everything came down and they had to leave, there was uh, some ships sitting, standing by. Um, I guess, because you would know that they would know about this. I mean, there's going to be talk about this coming, I think. And they would have some time to prepare, I would think. It's not like... They had about a month. They had right. about a month. And um, there may there may have been uh, uh, preparation prior to that because uh, uh, the king of France was... was um, they were watching his behavior. These, you know, the Templars weren't stupid. They were, they were at the head of a... You know they were they were next to the 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 French crown, so um, not too dissimilar to being uh, uh, next to any any uh, government, high government um, involved. And of course, they were they could be considered the SAS of their day, uh, and also accomplished spies. They they were code masters, but but they had about a month to to prepare. The eighteen ships at La Rochelle, which is a, a great deal uh, distance away from the Paris temple in 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 France, uh, there was no way anybody from Paris was going to make it down the coast that night. But regardless of that, the 18 ships were gone. And uh, I believe that there, that was only a small section. Uh, the the uh, testimony of the Templars under, under uh, trial, that is, that is the only snippet we have of, of uh, information at, at that time as to their, their sh possession of ships. It's my thought they had more than just that. Uh, uh, Sean brought up a, a battle at Malta prior mm -hmm. that, that the, the uh, hospitalers were involved in and they repelled a Navy successfully. But during that, that battle in Malta, uh, what was left of Templar records at Malta burned. Uh, a lot of archives burned. And we don't have the written records any longer. But I'm convinced that, that there were more than just 18 ships at La Rochelle. There had to have been. It would be foolish for there not to have been. But long story short, some of those ships went to Scotland from other ports. Mm -hmm. And some of them would have gone to North America. But uh, the weird thing here, just to, just to make matters muddy, is mm -hmm. that one of the longest standing political uh, alliances in the world is that of, the, of, of England and Portugal. Uh, one of their princesses going back centuries actually married into the crown of Portugal and her son was Henry the Navigator. Mm -hmm. And that alliance is still going. So Henry the Navigator pushed Portuguese. And, and of course, you know, it is a Templar country. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Bernard de Clairvaux's nephew was the first king of Portugal. So it, it all gets very, you know, convoluted. But so we're talking about English Templars, Scottish Templars, Portuguese Templars. You know, it's, it's not as clear, cut and dried as just Scotland. Right. 
That's almost a myth. So I'm quite grateful to Carl and Hamilton for driving that home in their series, Lost Templar Relics, Mm -hmm. that Portugal is huge. And Mm -hmm. Freddie Silva, Kathleen Ball's uh, colleague in her efforts. And, And I admire Sean for going to South America and seeking out the Templars there too. So it's, it's a huge, you know, global scenario but yes uh, forgive me i do talk a lot but but yes the templars did um leave from multiple ports right some of them went to scotland some of them went to spain some of them went to portugal by land they went to switzerland and some of them went to north america yep and there and you know that there and it wouldn't make sense if they all went to one place you know and and if they had this vast treasure and and it might be uh, obviously some treasure because they were the first bankers uh, and they were very wealthy, but also the relics, the artifacts yeah. that they had, the religious artifacts. Are you going to take them all and put them all in one place? Probably not. You're going well, to break them up. Exactly. And Jeff, you know, Zena Halpern brought up a great mm-hmm. point. And just due north of Oak Island is Gold River. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> I so it's an uncontested. There, there, there is no competition there other than befriending indigenous peoples and right. becoming allies with them, which I believe they did do. So there was right. fur to be had, lumber, gold, precious metals, without the interference of other European religions and powers. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, that, that in itself is the treasure of Oak Island, the right. resources and richness of the land. And I think it's just wild that, Sean's early, you know, um, contacts with the native peoples of the the Great Lakes partly inspired him as a uh, sculptor. Um, uh, It's it's wild. Here we are full circle. You know, Mm -hmm. Wayne and I have been embedded with this this potential Templar uh, castle, dare I say it, in Wisconsin, and and he reaches out to Sean, and Sean's been there. You know, he's he's worked on ships. You know, as as a modern day Templar, dare I say it? It's in his blood. It's it's everything's kind of come full circle. The synchronicities are are wild. They're just well, he wild. does have some he does have some royalty there. I think Sean does. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, he, I, I well, Sean's a Sean's Templar himself, aren't you, Sean? Yeah. yeah, I'm. I'm involved in in the order in in Scotland, you know, and uh, it's mainly a, a research organisation. But it did, you know, we're, we, we've got uh, preceptories in Italy and Romania, and you know, one of our investigations was based in Romania, and we found a similar genre of tombstones it, there to the ones in the UK. Slightly different, well, more sacred geometric type designs on the uh, tombstones. And Italy, for instance, was absolutely, there was huge amounts of Templar, Templars over there in uh, different, uh, you know, connected to, to the whole international Templar movement as well. So I'm involved with, with those and... It, at, at Noss Head when we uh, were having our grand meetings, which was very, very theatrical. You know, you would have maybe f- as many as 40 knights and ladies 
you know, processing around the headlands, all dressed in Templar cloaks, and uh, we'd have a lovely sort of Templar service, and you know, oh. then we'd all we'd all go back for for kind of a, a big meal together in the Nosshead li- Library. It was like something out of a a, a movie, you know. It was just incredible, and we did our investigation. And Sean, you're in the middle of the movie. <laughs> you're in the middle of the <laughs> yes, movie. Yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It does seem to be going that way, in actual fact. And uh, you know, I think what we need now, uh, my maybe I'm digressing a little here, but is that connectivity to indigenous peoples of the planet, the people of the planet? We need to. We need to be, you know, forming though, reforging those alliances and doing the best for, <clears throat> for the earth in that respect. And uh, yeah. I think that the Templars tried as much as they could back then. And there's no smoke without fire. We, we've, you know, it's in na- native culture in America, the, the breath of the Templars, the, the, the connection, the symbolism. It's all there, and, and and even actually in the language, and uh, many universities in the U.S.—well, not many, but a, a few—have done studies on uh, native language structures and the input of medieval uh, Latin stroke English words in them. Uh, it, it's anomalous, but. You know, we need to trace back these, uh, yeah. trace back to these days, so we can and, go forward in many ways. Yeah, and and the the flag of the Mi'kmaq people is incredible. It, it, it it's it, it the crescent moon, the star, the uh, white field, the red cross. It's mm-hmm. it's it's such an amazing uh, flag. And uh, uh, of course, there are legends of Glue's cap, and and uh, uh, in the same way that we are indigenous to Europe, you know, um, they are indigenous to to those lands that that uh, uh, our our European ancestors visited and befriended. And uh, I think those early contacts were much more positive than later contacts obviously were Mm. and the culture there is so rich you know we have much to to learn uh from them and from each other but um uh i'm grateful that uh i find wayne murphy very intriguing if i were to think of another man as a modern day templar it would be um wayne murphy uh he's half Irish and half Mohican and a retired law enforcement officer. Uh, what I would like to, to know, of course, there's no way to know right now, but I keep asking him about this, teasing him about this. What if one of his Irish ancestors had been a Templar? And the, the Mohicans at the time would have been in the Hudson River Valley area. So um, uh, it's potential that, that those that eventually developed the Newport Tower, if, if you think of it, it as being Templar or Cistercian, which I do think it is, would have met Templars. 
um, uh, the, the uh, Mohicans would have would have met Templars there, but then go north to the, the St. Lawrence River Valley, Valley, and and you've got uh, Irish uh, his Irish background being uh, married into the Mohican tribe there. So um, uh, anyway, because it was they were moved, they were forcibly moved in 1836 which was terribly sad. They had their own trail of tears forced marched to uh, the current location and the population, native population that was there that's, uh, at the time welcomed, welcomed them with, opened, with open arms. And uh, so for, for Wayne, I, I, I think there could be this really interesting circle of, of not only his ancient Mohican uh, roots, but also wouldn't that be fun to find out if he, if mm-hmm. he had a Templar knight in that background? I'm convinced there is. So, and speaking um, of and speaking of Wayne, he's calling in right now. Oh, so we have him on the phone here. Let's see if I can answer this thing. Wayne, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, let me turn it down just a little bit. That was a bit loud. Sorry, everybody. Just blew your ears out. So, yeah, we were we were getting ready to start pulling this around to what's happening in, in Wisconsin. And I know that uh, Alessandra and I have talked about this and we've talked about the looking out the St. Lawrence Seaway and some different points. Uh, we can get to that another time. But we've talked about the cities there. Um, but we have some very interesting stuff happening with these two folks, John Williamson and Gretchen Cornwall. And who's on the phone? Wayne Murphy. Wayne, thank you for calling in. Hey, hey Jeff, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. And, well, uh, how are you? Hi. <laughs> <Team> Templar, <laughs> yep, absolutely. So, tell us a little bit what's happening with uh, with Team Templar right now. What's going on in Wisconsin? Oh man, we've been we've been really busy doing a lot of research and everything I have, and exploring a lot of different avenues. And uh, Jeff, I want to congratulate uh, your show on uh, the the members that has picked up. Just amazing. Oh, I'm telling you, really it's really great. It's been crazy, and uh, your great co-host there. And can anyone listening imagine why I have Gretchen and Sean on Team Templar? Just <laughs> no brainer to me. <laughs> you got the best it's of the, the dream team, team you know. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, just recently, um, we're going to be adding an archaeologist. Oh, nice. Um, his name is Dan Welch. He uh, he holds a BA in religion from Gettysburg College in Maine in archaeology from Boston University, an MBA from Bentley University. He has worked with various geophysical methods for the last 25 years and had the opportunity to conduct surveys on all seven continents. His archaeological research focuses on the development of stratified societies in the pre-contact Caribbean and Gulf Coast, Mexico. Through, Mm -hmm. he has participated in archaeological fieldwork throughout North America and in Eurasia, and um, he's going to be joining us hopefully when we get going. That's fantastic. And he'll be working under the direction of Sean Williamson. All right. Fantastic. Yeah, you do have the best team going right here. I'm telling you what, you have really assembled a great uh, quality, good quality people to help you with this. Um, and I'm and I'm so intrigued by what's happening in there. Now, I'm, I'm one of the people who believe that the, the Knights Templar did uh, make it over here, some of them. Uh, did come to North America and make their way uh, into the interior as well as down the coast, as uh, Sean, uh, you know, we talked about with Sean um, and off down into South America. But now you're finding evidence that, uh, or have found some evidence that um, 
you know, they did make it into uh, as far as Wisconsin. And I think you've assembled a fantastic team here. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what's happening, you know, in the, in the future here? I know we've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but I didn't know what all you're allowed to talk about. Well, I think, um, some of, uh, some people may be amazed at this and some people may not. Um, it was unfortunately with a lot of prayer and I don't say unfortunately in the, in the, in the wrong way that I pulled team Templar back. We're sitting on one of the world's biggest discoveries. Mm-hmm. And um, I pulled Team Templar back. I had many uh, numerous phone calls with Sean and Gretchen, and we discussed this at great length. And Gretchen has went to great detail to write a unbelievable treatment. Mm-hmm. And a TV proposal for those who don't know what that means. For us to continue for- forward. And Monday, we're going to be reaching out to Dominic and um, addressing a few of the concerns that we had and uh, sending this new treatment. And we have we have a, a writer researcher. We have a stonemason writer researcher. Now we have an archaeologist. And also we have the ability now to uh, look at the paranormal side. I always thought of this as a diamond with many facets and like building a house. I was always missing that paranormal um, side of it and uh, magnetic readings and things like that. And for the last month and a half, I've had the access to a special sensor that I've been placing in and around the tomb um, over uh, prior to the solstice and um, during the solstice to, to collect information. And I uh, have another series of um, uh, uh, the the sensor is uh, working right now, so I'm going to give it a few more days to cook, and then um, I'll go out and pull the data, and hopefully it'll uh, reveal some more mysteries. Wow, that's fascinating! I tell you what, and we are really looking forward to that. And I know that um, you've you've kind of teamed up a little bit or had some help uh, with our friends over at the. Uh, um, Lost Relics of the Knights Templar, Carl and uh, Hamilton. Um, fantastic. And I know Sean played a big part of this as well because he was uh, actually uh, overdoing some work with them uh, in the UK, uh, looking at those slabs. He mentioned that earlier. And, you know, I think he was able to bring up the fact with them that uh, you guys were talking about what's going on in Wisconsin. And they were very intrigued by this. So I, and again, I don't know if I'm stepping into an area that I'm not supposed to be talking about, but that has helped this collaboration, I think as well, hasn't it? Nothing's off the table. Carl and and Hamilton, uh, great guys, great guys. And and we're really appreciative of of all their support and their help and, and their advice. Um, It's like a never ending well, and uh, we're so glad but um, like I said, Friday we had to pull back, mm-hmm. and um, I've been in contact with Dominic, and um, we're going to be addressing some concerns, and um, we'll be providing some new documents. And I think that with the status of this team, sitting on possibly one of the most magnificent Templar finds west of the Great Lakes is unbelievable. And now we have uh, this team available and, and ready to go. 
at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And, and I, and I'm really interested by the fact also that, you know, and, and my, my, the viewers of our group and, and those who watch the, uh, my show here know that I've, I talk quite a bit about paranormal. I do like the, uh, I've done many investigations myself, but it's interesting that you've taken that side to it as well. I mean, you know, when you talk about science in something and you want to look at every possible avenue that would bring you more data and get you more facts and, and proof of this. Um, you know, a paranormal, a lot of people are going to throw that out and go, oh, well, you know, paranormal, what, what does that have to do with anything? There's no such thing as ghosts anyway, but I'm, I'm glad that you're reaching out in all these different areas as well. Well, I've, I've been really blessed to have access to some really smart people and I've surrounded myself with, Oh, just the best team that there is. And lucky to get one of these sensors and maybe uh, hopefully in the future some additional equipment. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll see that where it goes. But I wanted this aspect to come forward in the Wisconsin project because there's obviously things that I don't know. Mm -hmm. And there's great mysticism behind the Templars. Um, Why wouldn't, if, if, as an, as an investigator, I look at all theories. I, I dismiss nothing until I can prove that it's nothing. Right. And so I like to look down many roads. I like to open all the doors and check under the bed and see what's hiding underneath there. And, man, I just I just got some of the best people in the world to work with. Yep, you sure do. I know I was just showing a picture there just a moment ago, and I'll bring it back up real quick. And this is just a picture. It's a picture. Of, I know you can't see it. Well, maybe you can if you're watching on the uh I know you were having some internet issues there, uh, Wayne, but it's a picture of Sean Williamson and he is out with, uh, he's looking at those tombstone, uh, the, the, the stone, uh, lids there. Uh, and he's, you can see the, uh, you know, Hamilton's uh, fedora hat over here on the one side and, uh, he's on camera. And then of course, Carl is on the left side and they're, they're actually, uh, working together over there. And that was so neat to be able to bring that, uh, to the forefront because now with their interest in all of this uh it has opened so many doors for you and i tell you we are all looking so forward to this coming to um the forefront and and this this your discoveries that you have out there um being known to the world because again we've talked about this as far as oak island uh many times you know everybody would love to see them pull all this treasure up out of the ground but it's the history that is very likely changing what we've known about North America, what we've been taught over all these years. Now we're pulling up evidence that is very likely going to change many of what we, the things we've been taught. Um, and is and, and some people are resistant to that. And, and some people are very, even if there's some scholars out there or academics out there, they're looking at it going and by in the, in the mind, they're thinking, yeah, that's a possibility, but man, do I have what it takes to step out and bring this out in, in the public? And most of them are going, eh, I'm not going there. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to be the one to stretch my neck out and get in trouble for, you know, and get looked at and laughed at. But you and your team are willing to take this to the next level. And I applaud you for that because I think you found something that's very significant and you've got some, a great team of people that's going to help you bring this out and are not afraid of, putting their neck out and saying, this is what we found. Let's throw it out there and see what, 
what everybody uh, thinks about it. And I, I applaud you for that. I really do. I know, Gretchen, uh, I, you look like you wanted to say something there about that as well. I don't know. <laughs> just briefly, just briefly. Ahead, um, uh, and this is in regards to Oak Island itself, as far as treasure being there. What I uh, thought was just fantastic and really quickly, I can't remember which well they, they dealt with, but Dr. Ian Spooner, who's just incredible, discovered that there was a high concentration of dissolved silver mm -hmm. uh, below ground in the in the the one well and i'm not C1. good at remembering which well three of them c1 was one of them yep okay but but as it was described uh after the um analysis that there was not just a little glass vial but a, a dump load truck of of dissolved silver which means that there could because uh silver dissolves which i didn't know mm -hmm. But gold does not. Correct. So if there is an unearthly amount of silver in that water, then there should be gold down that well as, as well. Mm -hmm. So I am hoping, you know, with everyone else that they do find significant uh, objects uh, uh, this coming season. Uh, that would be spectacular. Um, I've always thought Oak Island, just briefly, as a repository over the centuries. Uh, Vikings, definitely Templar, and I, I'm, I'm of a mind the Templars did not uh, develop the money pit. I used to think they did, mm -hmm. uh, although it's potentially going forward, the dendrochronology, the wood coming out of the ground, speaks of a of repair work so uh but there was uh dissolved silver in that water of a substantial mm -hmm. quantity so uh but um i do th the uh the vikings were there uh and their descendants the templars were on oak island who i believe created nolan's cross and repeated visits etc which culminated in the exploration party that pushed westward along the Great Lakes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and that's something <laughs> that Alessandra and I were, were talking about, and she brought up, up that point about, you know, and we look at what would be the most likely route if they did come over, uh, and we think they did, came over and they, they landed in Nova Scotia, and what would be the most likely route that they would take to get into the interior of North St. America? Lawrence and it would River. be down the St. Lawrence Seaway and come yeah. down there. And Alessandra pointed out this one day that we were ahead her on as she was talking about these cities of, of um, what is it, Montreal and Detroit. Toronto and, and De Detroit. Yeah. yeah. And how they relate. Montreal, the Toronto, names are very similar to what's over in the Middle East. Brilliant, Alessandra. Just brilliant. <laughs> well, they resemble the names of Templar castles in Middle East. So there was a castle, Montreal, Castle Toron, and Castle Destroyed in the Holy Land. I thought that was brilliant of you to have come up with that. You shared that diagram with me. And uh, yes, that's impressive insight. Absolutely. Well, and I found out since then that um, castle or it's it's actually fortress. Fortress destroyed. I I I'm sorry. I don't know how to pronounce it in French, <laughs> but um, uh, one of the builders of this fortress in the Holy Land was uh, Hugh de Payen, the founder and the first grandmaster of the Knights Templar. Wow! See, <laughs> it, it, I'm telling you, it it there's too many coincidences. <laughs> 
that tie all this together. I mean, there's so many people that want to just throw out oh the, the Templars. They were never in North America. Come on, you're, you guys are idiots to think that. There's too much evidence to say that that is poppycock, that it is true, that they have been here. I mean, there's just it it just, it, it just keeps coming. <laughs> <laughs> John, um, we we really believe uh, with Gretchen and Sean's help, Gretchen first coming and verifying a lot of things. We do believe that the temples were here in Wisconsin, and I, I'm, I'm not, I can't speak on their, you know, uh, at, at their level of that knowledge. I do a lot of uh, research in, in other areas, and we're a well-rounded team. Mm-hmm. But um, I do trust their opinion in this matter, and uh, they're also staking their reputations on it. Mm-hmm. They've seen a lot of pictures. Gretchen's been there uh, personally. She's touched things. She's she's known things. And and um, when I say that Team Templar has pulled back, thinking is it, think of it that is that um, we're just reorganizing a little bit mm-hmm. and just moving some parts around. We're, we're very interested in working with Carl in Hamilton and, uh, there's nothing out the window. It's just that, um, for professional reasons, I took this approach. It's my responsibility and, um, this falls upon me. So, um, we'll be, uh, we'll be in touch, uh, with the powers that be on Monday and, um, there's going to be a fabulous document coming that uh, Gretchen has prepared. and It's just amazing. Uh, I tell you what, we cannot wait to find out what's happening over there. I know it's, it's now that we've intrigued everybody's interest. Um, and, and of course mine, uh, you know, we, we, I know that, uh, you know, the viewers that are watching today and uh, that will watch us later on are, are just going to be on, on pins and needles to find out what's going on over there because, it's just fascinating work, and I applaud you all for being part of it. And I, I again, like I said earlier, uh, uh, Wayne, that you have put together a fantastic team. Um, and if you have any spots open, you know, you know, just just saying that I'm not that far away. No, <laughs> Jeff, you're you're absolutely invited, and um, oh. and I will make this a public statement. This is all brought together by the grace of God. Yeah, it, it truly is. It, it is. And, and I just, uh, I, I really look forward to the fact that you guys are uh, working on this. Um, and I hope that it, that it comes to fruition very soon. Because um, we, we all want to know. We all want to know what's going on over there. Um, oh, and I also want to uh, compliment uh, Gretchen on earning, earning her Templar wings in the service to her mother. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. And, and I, I, you know, uh, I could not uh, walk away from the situation. Mm-hmm. So, and it's been a difficult year for year plus for millions of people around the world. And my family felt it. And I'm grateful that we are all, all safe and well. Some aren't. Um, uh, a few, a few bruises, a few, uh, a few, uh, issues, but, um, I'm grateful that, um, my family is safe. I, I hope you and yours are, uh, economically it's been really tough and I'm grateful to be back in England and I'm mom is being looked after by my, my, uh, siblings, uh, uh, three sisters and a, and a brother. And um, she herself is doing a bit better. Her health is improving. 
for which I'm very grateful for. And there were times prayers were needed and uh, grateful to receive those. And I'm just uh, thrilled to be back in England um, and uh, commencing with uh, my, uh, my work, which is my, my life's work and passion. And certainly the trail of the Templars uh, helps me explain my life. And I think that there are many people out there who feel the same way. It wasn't until I came across them as a subject where all of a sudden things for me as a human being fell into place. Right. And uh, I'm grateful to be here that Wayne reached out to me with an original photo of what uh, I identified as a cross pate, which is a very specific uh, European Templar symbol, mm -hmm. right where it shouldn't have been. Right. So exactly. I can't wait to continue looking for further carvings. So right. uh, I don't have a copy on me, but, but Jeff has been kind enough to show uh, the Templar quest to North America, a photo journal. Many of the carvings that, that I encountered on that first trip there are in the book, including uh, a kite shield, European heraldry symbol called the amulet, which is a family symbol, heraldry symbol, that I want to look into. I believe I might be able to identify, uh, at least I'm hoping to, a uh, Templar families that bore that symbol, which is basically a punched coin. Uh, Zena identified those as pellets or dots. They're actually coins. And an annulet is a punched coin. In other words, the center has been removed and indicates a, a younger son that has gone into the service of, of the church. Wow. And in this case, the service of uh, the Templars. So, so there's much to discover there yet. And one way or another, I don't know how yet, but I will be there in September because there are more uh, carvings to identify. So I look forward to doing that. Oh, that's great. Well, folks, there I put up this uh, picture for you. This is uh, one of her many books that she has, that Gretchen has, uh, The Templar Quest uh, to North America, a photo journal. Um, and there it's available, what, on Amazon, just about anywhere you can buy Amazon, books. Amazon, I, I do have a few signed copies Ooh, okay. uh, that I send gift wrapped and personalized um, that I uh, are on my website, Gretchen Cornwall dot com mm -hmm. uh so uh that particular book is on back order with my partner publisher at the moment but it shouldn't be too much longer before i have that my first book that one i do have in stock for the usa and also the uk uh, i haven't put it up for canada because of the exchange rate makes it prohibitive to to post as well as to purchase, which is a bit sad. Um, but uh, uh, that's economics for you, isn't it? But, uh, mm -hmm. Well, that one's definitely uh, um, a good one, too. And this one, I haven't, uh, I still have to order this one. I do have the other book and I've gone through it. It is fantastic. Uh, and, and folks, it, uh, here's another one that you should really check out if you're interested in the Knights Templar and getting some really good information about that. Uh, you really should check out this book here. And also, um, and I'll bring this back up real quick. Um, and I think, Sean, you were talking about this uh, 
the one of yours that's I when is, is this one coming out uh it's questus is that the, yeah is that the it, 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 it will be ready in autumn and uh okay. questus yeah and yeah. this is about many of the things that we've discussed but compacted into a novel really right and uh you know it's just been uh lockdown therapy shall we say yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so, sure. yeah so that's it so that's it really and uh you know but more than anything else you know the you know, i hope the book will convey the the sense of tone the touch of stone and what that can convey to people in so many different ways because you know for me the evidence has always been in stone and mm-hmm. you know by knowing stone and knowing the heritage of the people that have carved and worked it then we will get a bit closer to uh, to our final goal of uh, you know finding out some of these truths to some extent and right. yeah yeah and maybe and maybe along the way you know inventing kind of a, a new approach to to, uh, to research and uh, archaeology uh, and so forth, yeah. I have a question for Sean. Please. Sean, um, in the United States, on the East Coast, in the state of Massachusetts, there is an effigy, which is called the Westford Knight. Ah, yes. It's um, an image of a medieval knight carved into stone. And it is believed that it's the likeness of Sir James Gunn. So that would have been one of your ancestors? Yeah, definitely. And that's where I came in onto the scene. Uh, Originally, I was part of the Clan Gunn, and the Sinclairs asked me to join them as sculptor, you know, because of some of the knowledge I had of, uh, you know, stonework, castle restoration, that type of stuff, building techniques, but uh, also my, you know, ability to sculpt and work stone. Uh, but Sir James Gunn, the, the guns were, of course, allies to the Sinclairs through history. But at that particular point in time, uh, you know, 1398, we think when Sinclair, Prince Henry Sinclair came over to, and of course I did the Prince Henry Sinclair statue at Noss Head, which is eight and a half feet high. But when they came over to Scotland, uh, you know, they brought Sir, Sir James Gunn was with them as the, uh, you know, main operator or ally of the Sinclairs. He was like a, uh, a, a lieutenant, if you will, of uh, having probably gun clan knights uh, as well that worked in with an alliance with with the Sinclairs and Sir James Gunn. Uh, it for some reason perished over there and uh, in the place that you've stated, and they made this what they call a punch hole effigy, which is a very basic. A form of, you know, carving work, but done with uh, what they call a point or a punch, which is a rudimentary carving tool. And people have done rubbings of it. I think Andrew Sinclair had somebody that did a fabulous rubbing that brought this effigy to life uh, of Sir James Gunn. And the motif, his clan gun motif on the shield, uh, <clears throat> 
So again, you know, my 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 family originally were Williamson is a set name of gun, one of the sons of the main progenitor of the of the clan originally, and they were they had an alliance held an alliance with the Sinclairs. Although I have to say, from time to time they did fight all the northern clans in Scotland, the Keiths, the Sutherlands, the Mackays, the Guns. The Sinclairs on the main were from Viking origin, whereas those on the Western Isles were quite often uh, had a different cultural background. And that's a history of, you know, in the annals and history of Scotland. Thank you. William's son, son of William. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Alessandra, you were just saying that William is a very popular name amongst the Sinclair family. So yes. I guess that all kind of ties together. Yeah. There's lots of huh. Williams and Henrys in the Sinclair clan. Yep. Mm. Wow. Well, thank you for that. I, I tell you what, we have, uh, we have now surpassed the uh, two hour mark. So, uh, and I would, I tell you what, honestly, folks, we could go on <laughs> this, this, this subject, uh, these subjects, I should say, are, are just fascinating. And, uh, you know, it, it could carry on and on and on for a long time. Um, but we do try to limit this to two hours, um, even though we have gone past a little bit. But again, so much fascinating information. And I cannot thank you enough for coming on today. We are going to have to have you back once again. And I know, Wayne, are you still on the phone with us? Yes, sir. And I would like to uh, thank you personally, Jeff, for allowing me to call in. Oh, And you have so many new fans. And I really wanted the chance to showcase the depth of Team Templar through mm -hmm. Gretchen and Sean. Yep. Yeah, and that's exactly uh, you know one of the reasons that, it, that we had this uh, this uh, today. And I, I, you know, I call them an interview. They're not really an interview. It is kind of, but I mean, it's more of a just a time for us to get on to to talk and discuss these things that we find so passionate to us. Uh, and then let people uh, sit and listen to it and, and and join in. You know, we had some great questions. I know we had a couple of really good questions that I, I actually never got to um, that were asked. I, I know Bill Kelly asked one of the questions. He said, what evidence was there of the Knights Templar have ever been on Oak Island? And we could go on for another you know, quite a while about that. There's quite a yeah, bit. I, I could certainly help with that. Uh, but it, next time, you know, next absolutely. Time. They were there. Know. They were there. Yeah. Oh, I you know. Yeah, I, I agree with you, uh, too. And then uh, also Teresa Pendleton asked a question of what other orders uh, could account for possible clues left behind. Um, yeah. And then Jennifer I'll Brandt also asked a question <laughs> about uh, then we I think we actually answered this one. Uh, she asked, uh, does the Lost Relics team have plans to come and take a look at the Wisconsin site? And if oh, so, I hope um, so. I, 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 that, relics, um, like I said, we're, we, we want to work with them very much. Mm -hmm. um, we just had a slight technical problem there, and we'll be addressing that Monday. Right. And uh, hopefully that this all can be worked out to a mutual agreement, and uh, we can all move forward. That's fantastic. And then um, we can all wonder why in 1425 is there a painting in the Pope's old apartment of native americans and horses oh yeah i know we never even got to that i i was that's uh, <laughs> okay that's a tidbit for next time oh yeah well, wayne is so humble wayne is so humble he has done a remarkable amount of of research around uh in native americans because he is a, a tribal elder 
you know, right. he has the capacity to speak and ask questions of of his of his uh, counterparts and other tribes that where someone uh, like myself uh, uh, would not be able to necessarily be welcomed, you know, whereas he is because of who he is. So um, he, he is certainly worth having on just by himself, you know, uh, Jeff, and, and uh, he has done an incredible amount of work on that front. Yeah, I, I was looking for that picture. I had it, and I, uh, I all of a sudden I'm not sure exactly where it's at. But uh, um, we'll have to link that for everybody in the uh, on the uh, show link here, so that you can see that picture. Um, but yes, uh, as uh, Wayne was saying, what was the date on that again? When that uh, fourteen? Uh, um, oh my God, I was thinking of Verzano in fourteen twenty-five, but it was. Um, 1493. Okay. Yeah. 1493. Ridiculously early. Yeah. And this thing is fascinating. When, when Wayne shared this picture, I'm still trying to find it right now. I'm still looking around when Wayne shared this picture. It was a fresco painted in the private apartments of the Borgia Pope, one of the Borgia folks. So it was not meant for public viewing. It was just for the post eyes. Yeah. Didn't they lock up the, um, didn't they lock up that, that his apartment for, I think it got painted over. It was it was hidden away, yeah. and um, if memory serves me right, uh, uh, I don't want to say the person's name because if I say it and get it wrong, then I don't want to have hard feelings. But they brought this to my attention, and then I did some more work on, on highlighting it, and that's what I sent to you. Okay, I'm going to have to put this up if you don't mind. Um, oh, absolutely. Okay. No, go right ahead. Uh, it's it, it it ties in with the Templars in, in North America, mm-hmm. there, you wouldn't have pictures of horses and native Americans mm-hmm. in a picture from 1425. Right. Um, it took too long to commission the painting to do that. Right. And you can see clearly that the, one of the native Americans depicted in the picture has a Mohawk. Isn't that something? It is very something. And it's, it's fascinating folks. I'll put it up in the group. Uh, chat is so that are in our group uh, Facebook page so that you guys can see it. Um, but really, it is it is very uh, uh, interesting picture uh, fresco, I guess uh, would be the better word to use for that. Uh, and we're going to have to talk about that at length. That uh, maybe uh, Wayne and and uh, our and our guests here today uh, can chime you in. You have on to invite <laughs> Wayne again. I've been busy on a little bit of research. Yes. And thank you for that. We appreciate that very much. And, and thank good. you for letting me call in everyone. You have a great day. Bless you all. All right. Bye-bye now. Wayne. Thank thank you. You. Take care, everyone. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead thank and wrap things up. And again, folks, thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, Gretchen, Sean and Alessandra, thank you again for helping and co-hosting with me. Um, I, I knew that this would be uh, one of those times where we just get to learn so very much uh, about the Knights Templar and their in, uh, coming over to North America. Um, and, and I knew that this would be great. And I'm, I'm, again, I could just go on forever (laughs) on this, but again, let's wrap this up. So thank you very much. If you have anything parting you'd like to say before we go, anybody? I just want to express my gratitude that you invited me, Jeff, to be your co-host. And it was very lovely to see Gretchen Mm -hmm. and Sean as well. Yep. I want to talk Thank to you guys you. for hours, but I, I know. know. <laughs> we need to all get together for like a week and just talk. Just talk. Yep. But I, I do want to say thank you as well. And to everybody, you know, tuning in or watching afterwards, thank you for your time. 
And Me too. we're looking yep. forward to continue to learn. And, and I always learn when, when uh, you know, in, in just having a chance to speak about this. And Sean, it was just fantastic to connect with you and, and uh, understand more of, of your knowledge base and background as well. So, yeah, just mm-hmm. uh, thank you, everybody. So. Yeah, thanks very much, uh, Jeff, uh, Gretchen, Alexandra, fabulous, Wayne as well. Uh, Carl and Hamilton, everybody that's involved and, uh, you know, all the, the listeners and watchers, uh, God bless everyone. Bless you. you all. And I look forward to meeting uh, you all in person <laughs> at some point. It shall happen. Uh, hopefully it shall. In, in the near future. So, hey, thank you so much, folks, for being with us here today. We really do appreciate you coming by and, and, and spending part of your Saturday with us. And if you're out there on the YouTube side, if you don't mind, click on that subscribe button for us. It does help us out. And if you like our content, give us a thumbs up and let us know how we're doing in the comments. And we'll put those up. Uh, as we uh, go along there. So thank you very much for being here. Again, thanks for everybody, our guests coming on today. You guys have a wonderful rest of your afternoon and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye.